The Coin Week podcast is brought to you by CAC, Certified Acceptance Corporation. CAC adds security and peace of mind to your rare coin investment in a marketplace where discerning collectors want to know that the coins they buy are considered by experts to be the best representatives of the grade. Know that the CAC sticker can mean the difference from your coin selling back of bid or setting a new price for the market. This week on the Coin Week podcast, I talked to former representative from the 7th District of Louisiana, Jimmy Hayes, about the South Dakota versus Wayfair decision, a court decision that may have a major impact on the way we buy and sell rare coins online. Hi, Jimmy. Thanks for joining me on the Coin Week podcast. Well, I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad to reach some of your audience with the important uh, consequences of the Supreme Court decision in the Wayfair case. So for collectors who've not had the opportunity to meet you, I know uh, many members of our numismatic community have had the privilege of meeting you and talking to you at various coin conventions, myself included. Uh, but you uh, are a legendary collector in your own right. You built a great collection, and uh, many of the coins bearing your pedigree have also appeared in a number of the most famous collections in uh, the history of the hobby, most recently uh, the Poe Collection. You've also spent a large part of your life in public service. Uh, you spent 10 years in Congress representing Louisiana 7th District, and you remain involved in the creation of public policy as a lobbyist. Uh, your work with the Industry Council of Tangible Assets has resulted in a number of successes for the numismatic industry, and we've covered these over the last few years. I thought it was very important for collectors and dealers to understand the ramifications of a major court case that has recently been heard. This case can and will have uh, major implications on the way business is conducted online, and uh, as we speak, I'm sure legislation is being drafted at the state assemblies across the country to take advantage of a very narrowly decided 5-4 ruling in the case of South Dakota versus Wayfair. Well, let me first begin with uh, a reference you made, and you're correct. It is a, uh, a imposition of sales tax on Internet sales, but it is an imposition of sales tax on every kind of manner in which a sale is made across state lines. It's an interstate sales tax. And um doesn't matter how the sale was made. It could be by telephone solicitation, newspaper ad, someone running a television ad that's seen in, a, in another state. It makes no difference. Once the sale is consummated and once a good or service is sent or provided across the state lines, the state where the buyer is has the ability to require the seller to collect and pay the tax to the state of the buyer. Now, how does this differ from uh, sales and use taxes, which uh, I believe exist in most states in one form or another? Aren't there already mechanisms in place where certain transactions uh, that are carried out out of state are taxable, even if uh, no tax was collected at the point of purchase? Well, the tax is due by the buyer. So many states in the past years imposed a use tax. That was the means by which they could try to reach the buyer and create a payment path for the tax. However, they were having a very difficult time in making those collections. And quite frankly, many states decided to reach out to a better source. If they could figure out a way to cross state lines and make the seller go through the record keeping and the payment of the tax, 
That would be the best of all worlds. They were getting a tax that was owed by their buyer, but since their buyer could vote, they instead could go after imposing the cost and the difficulties and the burdens of collection on a seller who couldn't vote. They're in another state. The problem is when every state does that, then you end up with having a state representative or state senator suddenly realize at some point down the road, oh, guess what? I represent people who buy and I represent people who sell. So if the methodology isn't fair and workable, then I'm going to do as much harm as I'm doing good. Unfortunately, they haven't reached that mindset yet. The Wayfair decision is really very simple and it's very narrow. It's not the decision, it's the manner in which it is being used by state legislatures. All the decision says is that the South Dakota statute does not require a physical presence in South Dakota in order to be valid. However, the court did not say that the South Dakota statute was constitutional. They sent it back to the South Dakota federal court to make that determination. Now, I know I'm going to get in the weeds here, so I'll try to put it in real in real simple terms. I don't think that's going to help anybody, including small business, because unfortunately, both sides of a lawsuit in South Dakota are ultimately on the same side. The state of South Dakota wants to collect the tax, and those who were involved in the suit brought by South Dakota against them for payment of tax are all major large retailers who now that the decision is over, are going forward with what they began long before this lawsuit. And that is setting up the mechanism to make tax payments because as large retailers, they view it as a competitive advantage to be able to have an economy of scale and to, in effect, give them a better marketplace advantage. Others actually went into the business of owning software patents in order to manage accounts for smaller retailers. So they have a completely different view than a small business does. A small business that is doing business across state lines will have, according to a, a, a PricewaterhouseCoopers survey, two and a half to three times the cost of a major retailer in compliance. And I think that assumption is based upon reasonable, readable statutes. I can tell you right now that I can see anything but reasonable and readable statutes coming out of the rush by every state legislature believing there's a gold mine, there's a windfall, there's nothing but money to be had and nothing that can be lost. And with that mindset, they're going to push the envelope well past what the United States Supreme Court held in the Wayfair case. When you think about the last 20 years or so, and think about how the Internet has created a dynamic and innovative new means for people to communicate and transact business with one another, it, it created an interconnectivity where Frankly, many fundamental issues regarding its use fell out of the regulatory purview of the states, especially, you know, as we see now as it comes to collecting tax revenue from sales. So obviously the size and the scope of the Internet economy is enormous and its impact is tangible and real for states uh, where Internet sales, I think, now are significantly eating into the brick and mortar retail market and the physical tax collection that goes on. You know, it's, all, it's almost crazy when you think about it. You know, when I was growing up, the mall was where most Americans uh, in the suburbs, you know, spent their free time and their, their disposable income. And now, you know, malls struggle because you can just sit at home on your couch in your pajamas and order everything from groceries to dinner to household goods and gifts. So, you know, it's understandable that states would look at the Internet and see it as a vacuum that is sucking up massive amounts of tax revenue. But as somebody who's also 
run an internet business, uh, the costs associated with being forced to comply with the myriad tax regulations coming from up to 50 states boggles my mind. And it seems that this issue is so onerous that the fix really shouldn't be taking place at the state level, but instead at the federal one. The federal level is the one that should have been employed to begin with. And uh, Congressman Goodlatte, who is a chairman of the Judiciary Committee in the House of Representatives, has for the last several years been trying to warn Congress that a Supreme Court decision sooner or later was going to impact the manner in which sales and use taxes were uh, currently collected. He has drafted statute after statute, tried to make deals and improvements. This is not a party line issue. It's not Democrats and Republicans. And he has tried to put together coalitions he's not been able to reach because so many of the governors and so many of the state legislatures were insistent that they could do it better than the federal government ever could. I suggest that in this instance, they will do it much, much worse than a federal statute for obvious reasons. The first is there'll be 50 versions that differ from each other. There'll be the possibilities of double taxation, by the way, where you have both your state and the state where you made a sale both claiming the sales tax. Uh, you'll have income tax from sales that are alleged to be owed to more than one state. This isn't hypothetical. It just hasn't happened yet, but it's absolutely going to. All you do is read some of these statutes and some of these proposals, and you can see this occur. I suggest to you there's a way to do it a lot better, and I really don't understand why uh, Congressman Goodhart was having such a difficult time saying, don't make the destination the point of sale. Make the origin the point of the sale. Every state uses origin in terms of its local businesses. Some states have a hybrid where they use a destination on rare occasions, but they begin with the origin. If you did origin and said everyone who's a small business seller or large business seller, use the origin of the sale, pay the tax to that state that, by the way, provides services for them, schools and roads and, and um, public improvements, that is thousands of times simpler and fairer. So if you're going to impose the tax, impose it at the right starting point, at the origin point, not the destination point. And you do away with a nightmare. And by the way, not just payment of taxes. How about having to qualify to do business in 40 states? How about having to pay a bond to pay taxes in 40 states? How about having to have audits from 40 other states where they're telling you, by the way, come here. We're not going there. Or they're sending you a bill. These are all unintended consequences that a court decision did not address because it wasn't before the court, but which every business owner will have to address the minute they make sales. They talk about a threshold. We have to cross the threshold. Really? When and how? In other words, on January, you make a sale, you're supposed to guess whether you hit the threshold by the end of December. Do you collect then? Do you collect later? If you don't collect then, how do you collect from the buyer who now it's been 10 months since you made the sale? If you have to keep all the paperwork and records and, and have it trigger, then you may as well not have a threshold. It means that if you sell $10 worth, then you better have $10 worth of records on hand. How did tax legislation affect the coin and bullion industry in your state of Louisiana? The, the uh, coin and bullion industry uh, was able to make a comeback in the state of Louisiana. Let me make two observations about my home state. First of all, it is the poster child for bad tax legislation. Uh, you can talk to some of the uh, brick-and-mortar shops in Louisiana. Some of them have to pay three or four different government entities different 
computed taxes. Uh, it, is, it is a nightmare for state compliance within the state, much less trying to put together something which someone could guess how to comply with beyond the state. But because Louisiana used some destination uh, tax methodologies, you get to see why they don't work very well. And even those who think that automatically this is going to just work wonderfully, if you start taking a look at the manner in which both a combination of bureaucracy and impossibility of understanding um, the means by which you compute everything going to the destination or all the inventive ways around using the destination, you'll understand why the origin point is gigantically better. And I suggest it's financially better because you're able to already have a, a methodology by which you collect from the seller in sales made within the state by them at that origin. You already have a pathway for them to make their payments, even if they're a little more complicated. You already have a methodology of audit that doesn't, doesn't require the kind of reach that we're talking about, nor does it require the loss of privacy for the buyer, who, by the way, is in turn going to be discouraged from making purchases in many instances. The way better way to do this is to use the origin, and I don't care in which state it is. And by the way, that silly argument about people people are going to move. All of a sudden, if it's a tax that doesn't have a state tax, everybody's going to move there to sell. Okay, Washington and Oregon are next to each other. I looked at the geography. They haven't moved since I looked at it last. One of them, by the way, has a sales tax but no income tax. The other has an income tax but no sales tax. And you'll find out that whenever you don't have sales tax, you have offsets within a state like that. You have higher property taxes, higher income taxes. People do not run back and forth from Oregon to Washington because they're going to buy or sell a car. That has never proven true for the uh, five states that don't have sales taxes. And it's not going to prove true because there's a federal obligation that allows collection of taxes. It takes into consideration the means by which the non-sales tax states will be treated fairly along with those that have sales tax system. And as you said, this isn't a, a partisan issue. I think neither party holds a monopoly on drafting bad legislation. But why is it you think that this very obvious issue has taken so long to be addressed with logical, practical, and frankly, good legislation? I don't know. I don't think your program is long enough to even make a list of things that uh, the federal legislative arm in Congress should have thought of in advance to the reaction that ultimately occurred. Uh, this issue simply, like so many others, has not hit yet. And usually Congress reacts. It's not proactive. It's, it's reactive. Uh, in fact, you remember George Collin, the, George Carlin, the great comedian, he used to say the opposite of progress is Congress. And in this instance and many others, it will take the burden to be felt. It will take those who have not been heard to start complaining. It will take members of the Senate and members of the House to hear from small businesses saying this is insane. It will take the economic impact of the loss of total revenues because of, of fewer transactions or alternatives that, that do not result in the same kind of sales tax, use tax, and by the way, local income taxes, then there'll be the reaction that's needed. I hope that's sooner and not later. Do you think this case might undo the progress that has been made in recent years in terms of uh, bullion and coin tax exemptions? Well, here, here's what happened. Usually, 
in the past, uh, a dealer was interested in his home state because he wanted to be on equal footing. In other words, if you could have an exemption, uh, hopefully a, a complete exemption of all numismatic-related uh, products, but at least an exemption of bullion and major uh, uh, sales items, then he wasn't going to be at a disadvantage to the citizens of his own state who could buy across state lines and not have to uh, to pay a, a sales tax. When that when that happens, uh, he's viewing only himself as trying to get equal footing. Now it's reversed because what's happened now is he's got to deal with com- that dealer that can deal with with forty plus varying kinds of compliances, and the people that are in his home state are going to be discouraged from buying at all. And if they now are going to be buying, all that has happened is that a burden is shifted, but it it no longer gives the local dealer the assurance of, of trying to have a customer base based upon the fact that he has a product that is not subject to taxation. And you know what the state legislatures are going to start looking at their list of exemptions. The fewer exemptions, the more money. And the old argument of the dealer that, well, I can't compete, is going to be met with an argument, oh, yes, you can. Now, all of you are competing at even now, which is absolutely not accurate, but is the short method of saying, I'm really not interested in that. There's more money to be had by removing your exemption. And the pressure to remove exemptions, partial and full, is going to be great. So getting into the reality business, um, I want people to understand, you know, as they're listening to this, uh, that, you know, you can predict what might happen with the passage of certain legislation. But the reality is that the issues resulting in the passing of badly worded or badly informed legislation can be actually quite worse than anybody can anticipate uh, because you can't really predict everything that's going to happen because of a law. You know, with an issue like this, you know, where the South Dakota versus Wayfair case was a test case, where do you see things going in the state and federal level? And should buyers and sellers of coin and bullion specifically be concerned? I think the the marketplace will be in in uncertainty uh, for a while because statutes won't be passed uh, instantly. They will, however, start hitting in months, not years because you have some uh, legislatures that couldn't meet fast enough. You had several that have already met and, uh, and made changes in their uh, state statutes. You have some that don't begin until January of uh, 2019. You have others that, uh, seven or eight, where they're already sending notices now. Uh, some of your audience that, that buys uh, from the major auction houses, I know that both Stacks Bowers and uh, Heritage sent out notices that they will now be collecting from, and they listed the states, I believe they list seven or eight states, um, that if you are buyers from those states, they will be collecting the appropriate um, sales tax as a result of Wayfair. Those are the, the immediate things. I think that in the short term, you will also um, see those who are concerned that, that their state is going to either repeal exemptions along with their new tax um statutes that are attempted to um, to open the doors for this this wild sum of, uh, of money that they're all going to receive in their view. And I think that, that you'll see people who are very worried about keeping their business open because they're being told in some states that if you're going to do business in this state, you now need to, and then the form letter will say uh, ABCD. 
which can well be register, send information, send business information, pay a bond, uh, pay a fee. In fact, uh, I've got it here. There was one legislator that, um, I don't want to give you the wrong state, so I don't want to mis misquote it. It may not be right in front of me, but uh, who actually, this is uh, within two weeks after the Wayfair decision, uh, did an op-ed that people who sold in other states should be subject to uh, criminal laws in their home, in his home state, uh, if they didn't uh, voluntarily send in the taxes immediately. That's the kind of, of incredible and maybe far-fetched, but happens to be a factually true kind of reactions that might be expected. Everyone thinks they're going to receive huge sums of money. Everyone thinks that that money is going to be wonderful politically because there's not going to be anyone paying the bill who votes for them. However, who does vote for or against them is going to be paying the bill to 40 other places. That is going to happen, and that's going to happen sooner rather than later. And to be clear, we saw a real and almost immediate impact on our industry when the state of Minnesota passed an onerous statute that targeted coin and bullion sales. Uh, that may not directly be related to the matter at hand with this case, but it should illustrate the destructive impact that legislation can have on businesses. Exactly, and, and you never know, and this applies to every industry, but the, the, the numismatic uh, industries and, and coins and bullions, suppose that contemporaneously with these state decisions, you have a major incident where a major counterfeiting um, ring is broken and, uh, and reported, so that suddenly you have this, this bad view uh, in many states considering legislation, or you have some, some once again, some sort of instance of a terrible fraud where uh, someone is, is, is cheated as a result of numismatic sales and it makes, for some reason or another, headlines in a local community or state. That's exactly what, um, in a form, happened in Minnesota. If the two were to coincide, then you really could see uh, some some difficulties that are unanticipated now to make it even worse for uh, for coin and, and currency dealers than for general business purposes. So what's the next step? Um, you know, what are you doing to uh, advocate on behalf of the rare coin bullion industry? Uh, are you holding out any hope that we can avoid the worst? I think that uh, Chairman Goodlatte would agree with me saying that in the beginning, it's going to be harder, not not easier, to uh, try to reach other members of, of Congress in order to explain to them that there is a worse thing coming until it comes, but that that process has to begin now. And therefore, at least you can begin drafting and taking a look at legislation that you think would uh, be able to deal with some of the circumstances that you anticipate or happening quickly and occur and have it ready uh, ready to go when you do feel that you finally crossed the line where you've got more people who understand what's happening uh, and can go back and tell their state legislators and their governors that, look, this isn't working out the way you thought. You're not just collecting money from other states. You're losing money in your state, and you're burdening small business in your state, and you're causing harm to tax collections on income tax at Valorum and every other kind of property tax in your state. And believe me, that will happen. It's a question of, of, of not if, but when. But to be, to be prepared to have a, uh, a sane response to it is, I think, essential. And by the way, at the hearing that was on the 24th, 
uh, this month. The judiciary had a hearing on the impact of Wayfair. It was interesting to me to take a look at some of the testimony in agreement and disagreement. And interestingly enough, uh, those who were uh, in agreement with with both of the, the Wayfair decision and uh, some of the weeks that I think is going to occur, they all thought in terms of, of large businesses. There was there was virtually no representative of a small business or small business community who was saying the things we're saying. Uh, I mean, who was saying the things that those opponents are saying? They were all realizing the things you and I are now talking about, that small businesses, which has always been the greatest source of, uh, source of future growth for opportunities and jobs in America, is where the greatest impact will be. Because while it's true that the Internet has come along, you know what the Internet's done? The Internet has been the incubator for small business more than all of the sources put together. So you're talking about hitting something way more than what some state legislators might think of some sales tax collections. You're talking about about putting real breaks on job creation, on job expansion, on economic growth. You know, I I think this might be the only time, now that I think of it, that I've ever had a chance to ask a question like this. So maybe for those listening to this podcast, you know, your answer could prove very insightful. As a former representative of Congress, how seriously did you or your former colleagues take outreach from the public? You know, I think many of us, you know, in the electorate, you know, may have met a candidate, got a pin or a badge or a yard sign. Uh, and usually, you know, when someone's running for office, they're very nice and engaging at that stage of the process. But, you know, once they get in, it seems that they become alien to us. And, and given the state of money and politics, it seems that most people who are elected officials concern themselves with supporting the interests of their major donors. At least I think this is an opinion that's held by me and many of the people I know. But is this the type of issue where if enough people really activate and reach out to their representatives in Congress and at the local level that things can be done so that this is dealt with in a fair and equitable manner? When you get to grassroots, small businesses are usually if not the most prominent uh, political actor uh, close to it. And uh, districts can vary in uh, in what they look like, that's true, but if you took all of them together and looked at 435 seats, well over 350 of those seats, I would tell you that the impact of small business, its growth, um, things that affect it adversely or things that help are, are the most important inside that large proportion of congressional districts. Yes, it matters. And remember, right now, uh, these members of Congress have only heard from state legislators and governors and from the big retailers and from the, the other mechanisms in the state, all of which think, and by the way, uh, do not, in my opinion, realize the things we're talking about. Or they want to dismiss them because they're, they're looking at a way to try to boost revenues to pay for things that they can't pay for otherwise. So they're very jaded in their perspective of it. They will be replaced, or at least they will be joined, by a voice as loud as equal, and quite frankly, uh, far more accurate in describing the adverse impacts that are occurring. And you know what? It's not as if you get no revenue. Well, think about this. <laughs> if you take the good lad approach, 
you get the revenue and you don't harm your small businesses. You move the taxing point to the origin. You don't get less money, you get more money. And I'll tell you why, because there's going to be a whole cottage industry built on how to avoid paying the destination tax. Whereas, if you've already got your vendors in place, if you've already got a tax paying history of sales tax, and you know that they're going to collect it, and you know your enforcement's so much easier on the locale being sold in your own state, you're going to get more money, and you're going to remove 90% of the problems that you and I are talking about. So it's not as if you're offering an alternative that means nothing. <laughs> You've got a better alternative. Well, Jimmy, I, I hope you're right. Uh, the government just seems to be utterly dysfunctional. <laughs> I think this is the case from the past few years. Uh, but this is a major court decision, and it most certainly will have an impact on all of us. Before, before we get off here, let me point out something about that court decision. It's 5-4. And remember, and it seems to be lost on a lot of the people who are writing about this decision. Remember how limited it is, and remember it's 5-4, and remember that it's sent back the determination of constitutionality of, of, the, uh, of the decision in South Dakota, and it kept in place the test. Uh, for whether or not a state statute passes muster. This state statute in South Dakota, in my opinion, uh, was pre-planned in order to, to create passage and is not a good example. I will predict for you right now that 90% of what states pass is not going to be constitutional. The problem with that is that if you try to get who has the money of a small business to challenge the state statute. But what can impact the state statute is the small businesses organizing and then politically reaching out saying, look, this isn't hypothetical. Here's what happens. Here's what is happening to our business. Here's why we're laying off people. Here's why we're not going to do business in these 14 states. Once you start looking at that, then you're going to be able to build a political base, which I might point out is completely bipartisan. Uh, you know, I don't want to get into names, but when you had the members of the judiciary uh, listening to witnesses, I could sit there and see, and I would assure you that in that room, you had just as many Democrats, Republicans uh, on both sides that are realizing what they were hearing. But remember, they're one committee, and they're one group of people who showed up to hear that. That's what needs to be repeated again and again and again to many more so that they can begin to understand what can happen and what is happening. But it fell across the board uh, on on, uh, uh, on bipartisanship. Those who understood the, the problems that were going to, to occur, I assure you they have both labels, Democrat and Republican, and they're equally concerned about the people they represent and the small businesses they represent. All right, thanks, Jimmy. Enjoy it. Take care. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends. Remember, you can download all 100-plus episodes of the award-winning Coin Week podcast for free from the iTunes Store. For Coin Week, I'm Editor Charles Morgan. Until next time, happy collecting.